It's November 19th, 2020, and you're listening to Beer Temple Insider Well done. Well done. <laughs> All right. Thank you to uh, Mr. Crushinator himself, Pat Fahey, for that one. Welcome, everyone. This is the Beer Temple Insiders Roundtable. I'm your host, Chris Quinn, coming to you yet again, not from Studio B of the Co-Prosperity Sphere in the community of the future, Bridgeport, Chicago, but from my house with my crummy Mac uh, uh, view screen. I don't even, sometimes I have my external camera, but you guys don't even get that today. You just get a grainy me. And, um, I still want to thank Lumpen Radio for having us. And I want to thank everyone at Lumpen Radio, the fearless leaders there. I want to thank, uh, producer Surge in exile, everybody. Um, and, uh, thank you guys for tuning in again in this, uh, revamped, rebooted, um, insiders round table. Uh, for those of you new to the show, this is, uh, a chance where we get to, uh, bring people in from the beer industry, uh, sit them around a zoom table. It's, it's never been an actual round table. If we're going to be real about it, these people know, uh, but now it's even less real. But, uh, but it's still the heart of it is here. We got people who have made beer a part of their lives coming together and talking about the beer industry. Um, with that, I will mention that everyone's opinions are still their own, even if they're at, in the comfort of their own home uh, and not the opinions of Lumpen Radio or any other entity that these people may or may not be affiliated with. With that, then, I will get to introducing my guests. I introduce them in order of seniority, that being how many times they've been on the show. Oh, thank I, God. I thought it was going to be age. Uh-uh. No. So you have to <laughs> shut up for a little bit, Don, because uh, Mr. Pat Fahey, the Crushinator himself, the master uh, Crusherone, I should say. Uh, I was say you're like dropping a new nickname. Here. Yeah, from his <laughs> from his crush palace there, his fortress of crushitude. Uh, <laughs> how are you, Pat? What's up? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm hanging out. I like. I felt it was only appropriate if I only drink beers that are beers that I would like to crush. So I'm mm-hmm. starting with Al Gash White and then moving oh, on nice. to nice. Uh, you know, it's you- it's. Of the season. Have you had it yet this year? So uh, when I was at Beer Temple, whenever that was, like a couple, I think it was two weeks ago. Yeah, you stopped um, in. You wanted to do a little photo shoot right before we we opened. Yeah, so, and then stayed for eight hours. (laughs) And then stayed for eight Uh, hours. Hey, can I stop by and take some pictures before you open? Sure. He did stop by before we opened. And then when I went home for the night, he was still there taking (laughs) 
I had more pictures to take than I thought. Anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah, I grabbed a six pack then. They were nudes for his uh, dating profile. Yeah, we were sh- <laughs> we were doing some tasteful nudes on the bar at Beer Temple. Uh, may they never see the light of day. Yeah, um, but anyway, so I picked up a, I picked up a six pack of, cel- of celebration when I was over there, and you know we don't buy a lot of beer by the six pack because you know actually i shouldn't say that these days like we just buy things that we will drink by the six pack but uh we went through it in like a a couple days and so (laughs) i I was like at whole foods earlier this week and i was like yeah we need some more celebration Mm -hmm. you know it's it's one of the few seasonal beers that like that I truly feel compelled to buy every year because it's just such a beautiful beer. So it's great. It's so out of, um, in a way, it's so timeless yet out of style with what everything else is being made. It's it's for very a winter. Aggressive. For it's a winter very aggressive. Seasonal? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fresh hop IPA. Like it's, right, but it's actually malty. It's a malty bitter IPA. I mean, those are two things that if you put that on the label. Uh, of a of an IPA, I mean, it's it's guaranteed not to sell. This is what IPA tasted like. Yeah, yeah. This is what IPA tasted like when I started drinking beer, and I and like, I mean, this kind of IPA will always have a special place in my heart. There are not a lot of people that still make them like this. You know, I think of like Bell's Two Hearted is another one that's sort of in a similar similar ish vein um at least for me and like that's a beer that i absolutely love i'm glad that people buy it because that means it will continue to exist so <laughs> yeah what's uh what, what's new with you pat other than drinking allagash white and celebration ale you know i feel like when uh in the past when i was on the show every time you'd be like so where have you been recently and have like oh well i was doing like i haven't been anywhere for a long time um so certainly no exciting travels, but uh, that's not true. Couple, you were like hiking all over the place, weren't you? Camping. Uh, that's that is true, actually. So we, uh, I guess, I, sh- I guess I shouldn't say that. So you know, in co- <laughs> in COVID times, I haven't done any work travel since Got March. But uh, but yeah, um, Avery and I just did like a road trip through much of the western u.s and camped all over the place we put we put in about 5500 miles over two weeks so aka so, haven't gone haven't traveled at all you know i haven't gone anywhere <laughs> haven't, haven't done anything no, no. you know it was it was a month ago which in like in 2020 time that's like a decade so right. i barely remember that trip at this point okay uh but in terms of things that are going on i want to say like I, even though this was happening some of the last couple times I was on the show, I don't think I ever mentioned it was that I was working on a book. Um, so started working on a book for Brewers publications, uh, which is the publishing arm of the Brewers association two years ago. Now was when I, is that really how long it's been? Wow. That's when I got tapped to, uh, to write it. It is specifically, it is, a technical book for breweries on how to build a sensory program. And it's focused, especially at small to mid-sized breweries. Um, I earlier this week got the first layout for review that's due at the end of the month. And then I'm fully done with it. And I could not be 
more excited to finally be putting that project to rest. It's been thrilling to work on, but oh my God, a lot. But of you got to go in the press junket now. That's when that that's what starts. <laughs> you know, COVID probably killed the press junket, so I I, I won't worry about that too much. <laughs> okay. If, okay. If anything, you know, I know the main spots where they have Brewers Publication authors like do things are usually in conjunction with events that I would already be at, things like Craft Brewers Conference or GABF, so. Got it. So yeah. Okay, well cool. Congratulations, man. Cheers to you. Thank you, I appreciate it. And my next, my other guest, the junior member of the panel is Mr. Don Vixel. What's up with you, man? How are you? I just love for the first time in a long time, besides the fact that I am a junior, mm-hmm. being referred to as the junior member. It's kind of nice to be. Uh, yeah. Junior to me, no less. I've, yeah, I think there's... This, this, this is fantastic to be this, this, <laughs> this young next to Pat. I mean, I, I, I at least wanted to start off by saying that all my opinions are only Pat Fahey's. So. <laughs> That's it's true. Yeah, they're not your own. Or, yeah, they're... Oh, no, they're all your own, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, um... You know, kind of like Pat, Pat and I were talking before we started, um, not traveling has been a little weird. I, um, a, a number of family trips, we've, we've been up to Wisconsin a number of times and did a big little couple week road trip up into Wisconsin and up into Minnesota earlier back in July. Um, saw some family and some friends and, but, but as far as work travel, my last trip was the end of February. I mean, it was, it's very weird to be off this road and kind of, um, see all the events that kind of usually would be happening you know, in the springtime and right now, um, you know, either happening remotely and not hopping on an airplane and getting to see all of you in person. I, I've been lucky enough, Chris, to see you a couple of times stopping mm-hmm. by the shop. But mm-hmm. besides that, you know what I mean? You know, I had a big conversation today with a couple of people here in Chicago about what oh, I'm Oh, who? Call them out by name. You no, know I'm you won't. Gonna... You know you're dying to. I'm not, I'm not going like, to call them out by name. You're I'm like... Not... I don't know. Like, I, have, I, I anonymous people in the beer industry that I talked to today asking high level, things. high high level people, famous famous people. I was talking very about. very very low level people that that own bars that make bacon and <laughs> ones that own bars in Andersonville, asking their opinion on what I'm to do about the annual kind of beer party this year, and oh, uh, yeah. opinions on that. But uh, it's sneaking up fast, and um, so it's. Uh, it's been a little bit interesting transitioning into these times of uh, living a lot more in my basement and spending a lot more time on Zoom just like this. But, but as far as uh, work, you know, I, kind of the same. I think the last time we may have, the last time we checked in, um, and it's been a year. Uh, LinkedIn told me actually uh, yesterday that it's been a year since I started my company. Jesus, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing how quickly that year kind of went by. And, um, and so we've been, working, been like the shortest and like the longest year ever somehow. You know, what? it's, it's been such a great year, Pat, because of the fact that I've gotten to concentrate on things that I probably normally wouldn't. Um, That's you awesome. both were able to see my daughter kind of sneak in before this started and spending more time with them has been awesome. But, but yeah, I can't believe it's been a year. It's been a year since, you know, I kind of moved into starting this thing. So our company's now t- touching almost uh, 50 suppliers across the United States. Uh, Russ Beer, Wine and Spirits, uh, an awful lot of data management, things like that, and, and, uh, and, and consulting for a few of them. But, uh, but it's, been, it's been kind of cathartic during this time to be able to touch so many different 
suppliers, but it's all been virtual. I mean, I can't wait for this thing to get to a point where we can travel again because I'm going to go on the Pat Fahey road trip and go and visit every single one of them. I mean, it's, it'll be the first thing that I do once we can travel again. Well, cheers to you. Congrats on that. It's good yeah. to hear. Good to see you both. Yeah. You were talking about events and what to do. I, I think I've all but decided we were talking at the shop. We're going to do, I think an outdoor event in like late January or maybe February, just in the bitter cold. Uh, they do one in, uh, in Wisconsin that I happened to stumble upon called uh, Bachfest at Capitol. I think I just walked into it randomly 10 years ago and it was amazing. It was like people all like bundled up. They were wearing like That's snuggies incredible. on the outside and they had like a band and it was just kind of craziness. So I was like, might be a good year for doing that. Just like going out in the middle of the cold and just everyone being like ridiculously bundled up and just drinking beer. Back when I lived in when I lived in Minnesota, um, there was a, a group that put on a few festivals called Beer Dabbler, um, and they still do festivals. They have a publication that they put out now, but uh, they had like the summer festival, and then they had the winter dabbler, and it was outside in Minnesota in like the middle of January. Um, and you know they have like fire pits going but like otherwise everybody just gets like crazy bundled up i remember like having to <laughs> having to like help somebody because their jockey box like froze solid yeah. um like just it's just stupid but so That's much awesome. fun so That's awesome. uh, if you're if you're thinking of doing that highly encourage it it's just like you know People get bundled up and drink yeah. and stupid commiserate fun. over over the how brutally cold it is. And it's a good time. <laughs> yeah, many, many many years ago, I tried. I I actually have been trying to put together an event like that for years. I we we tried. We almost had the guys down at Tiny on the River, that Tiny Lounge on the River, to do it. the The city just wasn't real keen to the idea, and we couldn't figure out how to make money if it was just a couple of days. But in Michigan, they do the same thing at one of the minor league ballparks. They do this winter beer festival. Oh, yeah. It. Mm -hmm. it, and, and that's kind of the first time I ever saw it. Was I was over there for a crew drive with, with some brewery. I don't remember how many years ago. And they had like, they had the, the big barrels with, you know, just full of, you know, the fire and stuff and everybody sitting around it with the big coats. And I've always thought that here in Chicago, it would be great. You just got to find the, the, the venue to do it. And it's tough to make any money, obviously. So it's got to be one of those right. things that's more for the love of the beer than the, than the, the making any kind of financial profit. But yeah, I hope you can do it. I hope you can do it. Cool. And pull it up. Maybe that'll be the location of the, uh, the gathering of beer people this year. Yeah. I mean, we're just going to do it in our parking lot. So <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fine. But uh, I know at Capitol, they did some weird stuff. They would like throw cured fish off the roof and stuff. <laughs> people would try to like catch it in their mugs. So I'm definitely going to do that and just like get up on the roof and, and throw fish off of it. So. Oh, Wisconsin. Yeah. You should get, you should get one of those giant, you know, the, the t-shirt cannons. That, yeah. The cannons that shoot off you know, you know, t-shirts, but just shoot off, you know, dead fish. Yeah. That's a great idea. If we ever get around to doing the uh, craft beer awards again, we had, I had had two stipulations for me uh, doing it again is one. We needed to 
uh, rent uh, a helicopter, which we had in place. And two is we needed a t-shirt cannon and we were going to launch hundreds of shirts to the point where it became so not funny anymore. And people were just like, after every award, like 10 t-shirts just get fired, <laughs> fired off into the, into it. Um, but uh, hopefully just for that reason alone, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll bring that back. Um, what's, uh, what's everyone been, been drinking lately? I mean, in fact, uh, Pat, you kind of, uh, you kind of already out, went ahead and, and, and talked about celebration and Allagash White, anything else? So I, I drink a, a few things these days and like it's fair amount of Avery's beer. So keeping together beer, which is a treat and a pleasure. Um, also, if you, you know, look off camera, I see you. I yeah, see I saw glances. that too. I saw the glasses. I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. Uh, how do you hear that plug? It was a good plug. <laughs> I mean, the, the beer is good. And you know, she's, she's brewing it over at half acre. So uh, we have, plenty of half acre stuff in the house too. Uh, you know, if we didn't have just like a constant supply of, of fader coming in, then Don, I might go the, the banquet route, but I don't have to, cause we just have yep. fader fader fills that role for me. Um, so a lot of that. And then uh, otherwise, you know, we just did yesterday, uh, our last session at Cicerone, we started in the spring doing this tasting together thing where we do like usually a different beer style every week. And I'd talk about it and do it on, on YouTube. And, uh, so, you know, a lot of times that would result in me buying a six pack of whatever that style was. So moving through a lot of different styles that way, but otherwise, you know, I think that we've seen, or the numbers bear out that we've seen a lot of this of people kind of reverting more to like flagship brands or tried and true beers during this period. And I feel like I already was kind of there just because a lot of those tried and true brands are brands that I really, really love. Um, but I've definitely leaned into that during this time. And yeah, Allagash White is a perennial in the fridge. Um, celebration recently I actually picked up like my first six pack of uh uh great lakes christmas ale for like the first time in like four or five years yeah and i was saying i think i'm going to try that for the first time in a couple of years too yeah. it's it it's it's there are so few occasions where i want like a spiced beer that's like that on the occasions that i do that beer is perfect i mean it's like it a is gingerbread cookie kind of right if i remember it totally, I, when I first tried it, I remember thinking that it tasted like cinnamon toast crunch cereal. Okay, like okay. it's, um, it's, it's not subtle in its spicing, but it, at the same time, it's not necessarily overbearing. Um, it's for that kind of beer. I think it's perfect. Okay. Uh, so like I said, like there are very few times that I'm like, yeah, I want a, like a heavily spiced Christmas beer. <laughs> but what, but when I do like once every four or five years, I'm like, I'll buy a six pack of that beer. All so right. I've had a couple, I've had a couple of those over the last few weeks and like really enjoyed the hell out of them. So we just got that. Yeah. I just got that in recently. And I, and I was saying to myself, I wanted to try that, which it's been a couple of years since I've, I've said that. Um, it just reminded me, we haven't talked since, on this show about the Pilsner contest at all. And that was in really? the summer. 
Yeah, well, the, I mean, the show went on a really long hiatus because Lumpin shut down. Um, the studio is. Um, and without someone to literally make me go there and then push record for me and say, start talking now and then send me the file afterwards, what you get is a six-month hiatus. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so... I don't know if you know about this, Don. Do you know about the Pilsner contest we did? I, 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 I don't, actually. Okay. So, I barely know about it. I yeah. participated. Yeah, yeah and Avery. <laughs> uh, and, and Fader was in it, <clears throat> which is what made me think about it. So we put out a call and said that we want to find the perfect Pilsner. So we didn't, uh, we didn't call it the best Pilsner, but it was the perfect Pilsner. And then that was very much open to interpretation, you know. And I, we did not um, uh, solicit any breweries and just said, send us your Pilsner. Um, we're going to blind taste it. We're going to, uh, and then just decide, well, narrow it down to a final, uh, a group of finalists, and then do blind tastings that are open to the public. That, and, sounds, that sounds like <laughs> solicitation, by the way. No, no. We're, so we didn't directly solicit any breweries, I should say. We made an announcement that we're doing it, okay? We didn't email anybody. Gotcha. Like a social media post about yeah. it is all we did. Yeah. Um, and we got – and the rules were – Yeah, we got 40 uh, prisoners from all over the country. Uh, That's internationally. awesome. And internationally, people sent it too. <clears throat> and um, – uh, it had to be uh, a year-round beer, and it needed to be labeled or marketed as a Pilsner, and we were a little bit wiggly with it because Fader kind of wasn't, but it used to be, and we said, well, why aren't you doing Pony because you have a Pils, but whatever. They wanted to do, Halfacre wanted to do Fader. Um and it was cool. Yeah, Pat and Avery and myself. Uh, very hard to run a blind tasting uh, with uh, with like the the quarantine kind of going on. It was it was difficult, um, but I think we achieved it, Pat. Right? And oh uh, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, had a, yeah. We, we had a lot of fun doing it for sure. Yeah. It, it, which which beer won this? So the finalists, you got to build this. On. You got to build it. So the finalists, so, I think there so were yeah, eight. That, this group of judges, which was like some of your employees, the two of us, a couple other folks, we narrowed the pool of 40 down to a pool of eight, basically the top eight beers that we picked out of the whole group. And those were? It was uh, Firestone Walker Pivo, which was in the first round, far and away number one. Nothing was even close to it. Uh, Rothouse Pills, which got in on a tiebreaker uh, because, um, uh, what was it, Bell's Third Coast, is that what it's called? Just barely didn't get in. Uh, was it Lager of the Lakes? Lager of the Lakes, sorry, Lager of the Lakes. I think Bell's, Third Coast is an old ale. Yeah, it is, it is. Um, well, there's two versions of Third Coast, whatever. Yeah, um, I can never. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Lager of the Lakes didn't get in. So it was Pivo, uh, Rothouse, Mama's Yellow Pills, which has been reformulated and is really nice. Um, Wiseacre Tiny Bomb. Um, there was Weistefan Pills. There was Pipeworks Pills, 
Trumer pills and the la- oh uh, Pulaski pills from Maplewood. Those are the eight, I believe. Um, and from that, we uh, can, 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 yeah, can yeah. I at least guess? But when it's time for the guess, because I don't know anything about this festival, but I think I now know the answer just because of the fact that couple of people have given me i think this beer that i i'm not going to say anymore so when it comes time can i at least guess guess right now it was the the rot the rot one the rot 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 house pills did not win a lot of people thought that it was going to win and it was not it it didn't win no I, i i had two people in the beer community out of the blue give me that beer this summer and tell me that i had to try this beer it was, it was the mind best blowing. Ever yeah, had. right. Yeah, yeah. People yeah. talk about it as like the best pilsner ever, and it is a very nice pilsner. And right. I would imagine too, like especially if you had it like really, really fresh, it would probably be even better. But yeah. I, it's it's a, it didn't change my life. I think it's a nice pilsner. I, I had two and, people. And somebody will probably kill me for saying. I, I had two people <laughs> give me that beer as if it was going to. Ch- I enjoyed it. I, I really did enjoy it, and maybe it was a little bit of the hype and I enjoyed it both times, but two well-known people in the beer community gave me that and said, I had to try this. And it was, I enjoyed it. I like free beer. It's amazing. <laughs> Don, I am, I'm amazed. There's twice now that you said two or a couple well-known people in the beer community and you haven't said who they were. Kudos to you. I think you've turned over a new leaf, Don. I just, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm it's just, just, it's just no big deal. I, I don't care. I am not yeah, giving you the, sati- I am not giving you the satisfaction of you That's really many what more is. people in this business. Than me. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. Um, so the, uh, the, yeah, the Rothaus pills thing was, was crazy. Um, I think the beer temple played a part in, in kind of kicking that off because it was over, um, probably for the first six months of the year, it was our number one moving skew. It was our number one seller. We were taking in, so like 100 cases would come into Lakeshore. We would take 95 of them and blow through it in two weeks. And it was a, it's like a $14.99 six pack of a, of a imported Pilsner. Uh, So yeah, we moved like, hundreds and hundreds of cases uh, of that people were buying moving? by the case yeah oh yeah moving? we buy it by the stack now we don't buy um a hundred cases i mean we bought we bought 70 cases at a time <laughs> but now we do more like 10 cases we do 10, 10 case drops and we don't do that really of anything other than like um hot butcher or something like that so um yeah, no, the winner was, um, I think the surprise of the, the contest was for, for a lot of people, not for everyone. There were some people calling for this beer before uh, it, it was it, the contest even began. But um, Wiseacre Tiny Bomb. Kind of um, really, really, really. That came in second, I think, yeah. or third, something like yeah. that. Trumer Pills won. Huh. That's not surprise me. I mean, yeah. it's such a... When I left the shop um, two weeks ago, Avery was like, I need like a crispy, delicious Pilsner. And I was like, oh man, what do I want to go with? And some Trumer 12 packs had just come in that day. You know, that's in the fridge too. Maybe I should have one of those next. <laughs> <laughs> you can certainly but crush like, it. 
Yeah. It's, oh God, Trumer is, is definitely a favorite of mine. It's such a, such a good beer. It is. Yeah. I still good. have two of the Rod House left in the, in the fridge out in the garage. I, I, I do not have any, I don't think I've had that beer. I, I can't even tell you, maybe 10 years since I've had one of those beers. So we had a, we we had some ramen last night and crushed a few trumers alongside it because it's the closest thing we had to Japanese lager here. So. <laughs> well, I think you I think you hit it before though, Pat. As far as freshness, you know, I mean, I I started my beer career out working for Pilsner Cal, and I'll never forget the first time I actually got the chance to go over there and drink the beer and realize that so it's not different. the same beer. It's like it's the same thing with uh, whatever rot house would taste like fresh, you know. I, Trumer, how fresh is the beer that makes it into the States? Like, how old is that beer? Now, you know, recently. Well, they're making, well, they make it in California, don't they? Nowadays, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that where it is? It's yeah. California, but it used to be really, really beat up by the time it would get to Chicago. But yeah. they've, I think, recommitted. Somebody along the line has recommitted to it, and we're getting regular drops of, of fresh beer, and we're getting the cans again, finally. So, yeah, hopefully... Yeah, hopefully we can keep that going. What are you yeah, drinking, I Don? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I started out this summer, about this spring. Jeez, it seems like summer. So <laughs> I, I've been drinking with the same crew of people for about 10 years. And we drink together. And, and Chris, you know these people. It's like you've seen us together every Thursday. Peter Oliver, Sam Calgioni. <laughs> <laughs> the last and, about years. And, 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 and we drink the same beer generally. We we, we, we get together and we drink, you know, generally it starts out with, with Jungle Boogie. We've been drinking Jungle yeah. Boogie mm-hmm. for years. And then once COVID hit and we couldn't, you know, sit inside anymore, we started hanging out with Metrop- at Metropolitan. So Metropolitan became like go-to drinking their lagers. And it was Zwickle, Zwickle, Zwickle. And that was all through the spring. And then we moved over to start drinking at the Mancho Saloon and – I, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget the name of the brewery. Um, the, the great um, lager brewery here in Chicago that's over in Dovetail. Brewery. Dovetail. We started drinking uh, a lot of Dovetail. And then the one beer that we've moved into as the weather's changed, and I haven't moved into winter beers yet, we've been drinking the shit out of Tome. Tome has become like my new like kind of go-to kind of winter beer. And mm-hmm. you know, when I'm with the neighbors, I was telling Pat earlier too, it's like we, we drink you know, Modelo and Coors Banquet. I mean, that's what we drink here in the neighborhood. Uh, it's inexpensive and it's plentiful. But but at the places we've been getting together still and drinking outside, it's moved into, as the fall is, into Tome. And it's, I had heard the hype beforehand and had never had one up until about two months ago. That is an absolutely spectacular beer. So loggers, yeah. all, loggers all spring and through the summer and then it's moved into Tome and and I'm drinking an IPA from, I told you guys before, from uh, this brewery I'd never heard of, this Fort George Brewery, which is a 25,000 barrel brewery out of Oregon. And I got sent a little gift pack from these these fine folks and uh, kind of a collection of different IPAs and a couple of stouts. And these beers are great. They're, they're fantastic. They had a wet hop beer that was really good. It doesn't hurt the fact that this beer actually that I'm looking at uh, was brewed on 930. So it's, it's nice and fresh from Oregon. And I don't even. I don't think it's available here. I think it's only out in the West Coast. All right. Uh, does that does that count? Does that count as a name drop? If it's like this is a brewery you can't get here, 
that counts. That counts. He's that he counts. very much wants it to count. So we'll it, we'll count it, it. It would only count. It would only count if I had like said the brewmaster's name and that we had like had drinks together at some obscure bar that Chris Quinn had never been to. And it's never like a, would. It's Not like because a, I didn't want to, but because I can't. It's like a third <laughs> of a name drop. Like, right. We'll give him a third on the counter. He gets a, yeah. A not doing it. Just not, not going to do it. I broke the record last time. This time That's I'm true. going for zero. Okay. All right. There you go. We'll see. Um, <laughs> I love it. I do want to see how many times you're like tempted to, but then hold it back. <laughs> I was with some very, very well-known, very well-respected <laughs> people. Trust me. Uh, that's very Trumpian in the way you do it that way. Uh, but, um, we'll move on. But, um, so, oh, there, High West. Very nice. That's the double rye. Good stuff. Um, so why don't we, we'll take, well, I guess we don't need to take a moment. Uh, we're all just here anyway, but, uh, we can just move right into it. Uh, Don, you want to start out with the the latest uh, Nielsen data and what it's been, what it's been saying. Yeah, it's been uh, you know interesting subject to talk about too. I, I want to text tee it up if you wouldn't mind. So people yeah, know yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just kind of talking a little bit about the latest articles that have come out, talking a little bit about kind of the slowing trends across the industry. I mean, I think that, I think all of us really felt early on for a, for a moment in the spring that, Oh, we're saved. You know what I mean? We all have to stay home, but, but the numbers are through the roof. People are up 40, 50%. This is it's incredible. We're all going to be, we're, we're going to be saved by all these at-home drinkers, but it's slowing. I mean, it's not dramatic slowing, but to watch it. And the interesting thing about numbers is, as you guys know, that IRI and Nielsen's primarily broken out into 52, 26, 13, four weeks and down to week increments. But if you look back 26 weeks, I mean, that's almost about the start of this thing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? From where it, you know, kind of really started to kind of, you know, really kind of die out. And, you know, so when you start looking at it, there was a high across the industry of high 20s to almost low 30s as far as increases. And that has dramatically pared itself down. I mean, I, I pulled some numbers just to kind of look at it. I mean, spirits hit a high mark of up 28%, you know, back 26 weeks ago. And it's kind of fallen down in the last four weeks to 21% up. So 28 24, 21% up, you know, at wine made it up as high at about 25%, 26% has fallen down to the trends right now of about 17% up over the last four weeks. And, I, and, and it, it beer is the one that's really interesting is, mm-hmm. you know, beer hit a high watermark of about up about 20 and has fallen down in hell. It's held for the last 13 and the last four, but it's holding at about up 4%, 14%. But this thing that really is kind of, you know, scary about those numbers that the beer community needs to be concerned about is the fact that those numbers are being lifted up so strongly by the RTD category. I mean, with you strip that out of there and pull that completely out, beer itself is only trending right now up about six or seven points. So that's not going to make up for it. Is that that 14%? Does that include seltzer? It does. Yeah, it does matter. Wow. So it's everything malt. So that's, and I just, and, and Pat, I just pulled up the latest numbers too. I mean, it's, it's up 14, two, a week ending two weeks ago. So this is end of October numbers. And then you strip that, that seltzer RTD stuff out of there, anything that's malt based. And it's really about 7.6, 7.7% is all it's up. 
And one thing that I think is really important for people listening, uh, Nielsen numbers cover the off-premise. Yeah, yeah, very um, important to say that. Yeah. So, so, you know, this is not beer generally. This is specifically beer being bought in grocery store, convenience store, liquor store, not beer being purchased in bars. And so that's, you know, that's one of the things is that larger breweries have seen, you know, offsets in terms of, uh, in terms of more beer being purchased in the off-premise and obviously significantly less beer being purchased in the on-premise. So these numbers, uh, the, the story is very different from brewery to brewery, depending upon how much of their business was in the, was in the on-premise versus the off-premise. And that's, I think that's an important thing to, for people to understand who don't necessarily live and live and breathe with Nielsen stuff. Yeah, right. yeah, and Pat, so well said too. And you know, and, and, and probably we, we should have prefaced it with that. And and I was asked by one of our clients down in Texas, and they're a they're an RTD company, and they're actually spirit based with theirs, and and they make a version of a ranch water. And their question, and I and I reached out to a bunch of industry folks across, like um, some people at AB, people at Miller, people at Nielsen, and people at IRI to answer this question because I had never really been asked it this way before. And they asked how much of the overall category of sales in the off-premise were being captured by these numbers that we throw out there. And it was very interesting to hear the different numbers because, um, and I, I can't speak directly to which company told me what, but I will tell you this, that the largest of the large companies told me anywhere from 70 to 80% of their off-premise business is captured here the scan companies wouldn't go on record and say exactly what the numbers were, but let's just say that they said something very similar, like right around that 70% number for the off-premise channels being captured. And just very quickly, uh, just uh, what you mean by that for people out there who may not know is, um, you know, there are other avenues for selling beer off-premise that are not part of the uh, Nielsen IRI scan data. Um, so essentially, you know, the person's asking, okay, how much of, of the actual off-premise industry is being captured with this data uh, is, is what you're talking about. Sorry to interrupt. Go on. No, no, it's perfectly. And, 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 I, and what they were referring to is any of the independent stores, people that wouldn't be a banner store like a Kroger or a Julasco for those of you here in Chicago. And, and Binnie's is a creature in its own because it doesn't necessarily – share data at the kind of micro level, but do so kind of at the macro level. So the mom and pop stores that you go and support, they're not capturing this data. So as you went further down, Pat, exactly what you were saying, as you get down into the breweries, and I, and I can't even imagine if you wanted to take a look at like real strong up and coming breweries like Hot Butcher, which is such a great example. You know, Hot Butcher's numbers may look so impressive in scan data, they don't even begin to tell the story of what they're really doing because of the amount of business that's not even being captured at all. So I couldn't give this, these people a straight answer. I, I, I told them the best way we could look at it was to look at their overall depletions out into the market, what they were selling, and then get a good look at what was being captured as being pulled through, through the IRI or Nielsen scan data. And for them, a company that's doing about 10,000 barrels worth of RTDs, they were capturing about 50% in the state of Texas. So for a 10,000 barrel brewery in the state of Texas, you know, where they do 
a fair amount of their business and a lot of the C channel and some of the alternative, you know, places to sell, they were still capturing 50% of their overall data. So, mm -hmm. so, but yeah, great point, Pat, and, and great clarification, Chris. And it's hard. I mean, I know for someone, just the, the little, little guys like Hop Butcher, it might not be, so there's two things. It's, is, is it being captured and what is the actual implications of, of this, these shutdowns and, and what's going on right now. And I know for people like Hop Butcher, it, it, it's eerily not affected them at, at all. all. Yeah, at uh, all. Just like, oh, it's, it's, it, there's, I would not have known other than it being all around me. But just yep. from a business standpoint, it hasn't affected them at all. And then you've got people like, you know, uh, like the bigger uh, craft players in, in the market, um, I'm sure are, are, being affected drastically. I'm sure Half Acre is being affected drastically by yeah. this. Well, and some Maybe. of them, because of the of, of their maturity, their maturity in the market, are showing numbers that, you know, the numbers really are very hard to understand right now. Because Chris, exactly to your point, some of the ones that aren't as mature in the market or weren't as mature in chain are suddenly finding that that's their only real avenue to be able to sell a lot of volume. So they're showing phenomenal growth where some of the larger players like the Goose Islands of the world and the revolutions of the world that already had mature penetration into the chains aren't showing as much growth in those channels from the scan data, but it's not really showing a real true picture of how everybody's really doing right now. Mm -hmm. it's, almost, it's almost like that expression in the industry, industry of a pipeline fill. You know, once you start selling beer into the market, you're going to sell so much just to fill that pipeline of opportunity into all the retail locations. There, there's a big pipeline fill that's happening right now across the country of brands that weren't traditionally in chain rushing into those channels so that they're able to get sell through. So, so the numbers, though we get so, so deeply engrossed in reading them and what they mean, the weird thing about it is right now, you know, even you know, the, the, the best of the best at the Brewers Association, you know, you know, you look at these numbers and the best of the best at Nielsen and IRI, they do let us know that th these are numbers that aren't truly telling the full story yet. And it'll be interesting once it shakes out come spring, once we see kind of the cycling of these numbers, what the story really tells them. Yeah. And I feel like in the past too, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much this, uh, this is true. Like, you know, back to that point on on-premise versus off-premise, the on-premise is notoriously difficult to capture good numbers on just because, you know, in the off-premise you have large grocery chains or large, uh, you know, liquor chain, liquor chains that sell tons and tons of beverage. You don't have that as, it's, it's not easy to track data in the on-premise, but like for people who, I would imagine that in the past, if if a brand was blowing up in the off-premise, it probably was also seeing a similar trajectory in the on-premise, or at least there was some relation there. And right now, you know, the on-premise is just, it's just dead. So- And very unreliable, even when it was back on, yeah. completely unreliable. Yeah. So, so for any, and you know, for- people out there that, that don't work at breweries, uh, you know, the margins are a lot better in the on-premise than they are in the off-premise for, for a brewery. So for any brewery that was very reliant on the on-premise, 
even if they've seen huge volume or dollar gains uh, from like a Nielsen perspective, they may be down significantly as a business. Well, if you look at, I mean, you, you, you started out so well with talking about Allagash, you know what I mean? We're, I mean, all of us on this <laughs> program today are all friends with the folks at Allagash and some uh, more than others. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, Chris, I mean, I, you talk <laughs> to that person every single day, but you, you know, it, it's very interesting because you had a business and, and I don't know if they were 70, 30, when this all started, 70% of the business huge, on off. Huge but, on premise. Their timing was so amazing. I mean, you, you got to hand it to them and they obviously didn't see this coming, but it was in their pipeline moving into cans and moving into 12 packs. And they rolled those suckers out right where this was hitting and their business has just been explosive. I mean, you know, I, they haven't fully made up that gap, but they're really friggin' close. And then you see breweries like Fiddlehead, such a great example out of the Northeast. Fiddlehead was doing almost no business at all in the on-premise, none, almost no package. And they quickly were able to transition and start flooding the marketplace with, you know, all of their products. But those breweries that were sitting at 70, 80, 90%, the non-mature breweries, ones that couldn't get cans or couldn't get packaging and, and couldn't find a route to market. Most anybody without it, they're in trouble. Anybody without a distributor who relied on their own taproom sales. Like, That's what oh, I was yeah. going to say. Own premise. Oh, yeesh. Yeah. It yeah, just went away. I, it just, it just went away overnight. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is, you know, I, I, cause I have lots of friends that work in, in smaller size breweries where they did a lot of their volume through own premise sales and uh, you know, I remember talking to people outside of the industry. They're like, well, you know, they're still able to do like takeaway and all that stuff. And it's like, you can't charge the same amount for a, you know, a growler, a beer as you can for somebody sitting for a pint in your bar. Like their margins just went through the floor. And yeah, like, people that aren't was- going to do that. People aren't going to show up to get a growler and leave. I can't tell you why they're not going to do it. Or, I mean, I can tell you why, but they, I mean, they, they did they, early on, though, Chris. Yeah, sorry they to did it. Chris. They did it out of, they, out of they charity. They did yes. it out of charity. Yes. yes. But, but even, but even still, sure. the margins on a growler are not the margins on no, a pint of terrible. beer. Like, you, you can we charge, you can charge six, seven dollars for a pint of beer. Nobody is out there charging thirty dollars for like a growler of IPA. <laughs> Yeah, right. and, and I don't like want to call it cha- and I don't want to call it charity, Chris. But I mean, you and I talked about this. I mean, I went and stood in line, uh, you know, at, at our friend's bar, and and and, I, and we stood there, and, and you know, it, it, the line was spectacular, and it was lasted like three or four day, days. It was three blocks long, and we all sat there and we waited, and I bought three growlers of beer, of which you know, and and I hate to say this, one of them I, I just poured out actually the other day that had sat in my fridge that I kind of forgotten about out in the garage. And, and, and I hate to say the word charity, but you're right. I mean, a lot of us, because I, I don't like- We were all drinking, scared. We were scared for like these businesses. I don't like drinking beer that way. And I, and I don't right. like drinking beer that way. I don't think it tastes great. I don't think it's the best way to present it. But I went like everybody else did. And we went to those establishments and we bought that beer and we tipped exorbitantly because of the fact that we were all scared. You know, we wanted to make sure our friends made it. Mm-hmm. But, but it's mm-hmm. not sustainable, Pat. Back to your point. I mean- and there's no friggin' profitability. It was just almost like save the kegs. It was like we were we were going not to save the children. We were going to go save the beer that was locked in those kegs. You know, we had to had to save it. Yeah, something that people probably don't even think about is how the industry was also. I mean, there was just this huge glut of 
of beer in kegs that once it's kegged, you can't get it out of a keg except through a, a draft handle. And then it became weird because now there are no kegs. When stuff opened back up, nobody was doing kegs because they were all scared. So, I mean, even I was saying before, Pat, how uh, all the on-premise numbers are so unreliable. I mean, we have 21 draft lines. We have 20 and a, and a, and a, a, and a cask. Uh, when we reopened, we had eight. And we're like, I'm just doing eight. Our, our menu was full, but the rest was just bottles and cans and, and glasses of wine and stuff like that. Because I was like, you know, we're, we're just, it, it just isn't real. This, some people are here. We're very spaced out, but this is not real. It was so, the on-premise game was so weird. It was when it so was strange, open. Chris. Our I busiest time was the well, afternoon. It yeah, was yeah. so weird. Like I, three. I sat, that, I sat in that room several times. I mean, it was... And, 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 and I went there before this happened. So us going to your establishment wasn't charity. It was our normal place. We wanted yeah. it to feel like it felt before, but all of us felt like, you know, somebody knew that we would see and that we knew in the industry would walk in and you'd be like, uh, Hey, 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 um, it's yeah, great right. to see you. And, and you'd go with the glass and you'd go, uh, yeah, I'm going to sit over here. You know, good. It's good. Hi. Yeah. It's, but the amount of that beer to what you were saying though about it going out, think about the amount of beer that also went back to some of these these places and got canned. I mean, that's the crazy thing is the fact that I don't think a lot of people realize that a lot of that beer got recollected by breweries and a lot of breweries then took that beer and then canned it off. I didn't even I didn't know that. Yeah, I yeah. didn't realize that either. Yeah, there was there was there was a there was a lot of that beer that got uh crowlered and canned, actually. The amount of conversations i had with breweries that did that was uh quite fascinating to watch big guys little guys uh, both or uh, not big not big and no I, one I, worth I, naming that really makes, no, that nobody worth sense. naming but but i would say <laughs> that anybody below a twenty thousand barrel brewery and those breweries that somewhere between about two and ten thousand mm-hmm. barrels there was a lot of it going on much that more makes, than i think that makes more realize. sense yeah there was wow. a t- there was a ton of it that happened I, and I don't think people realize that it happened. There was a lot of it. Yeah. I didn't. But those breweries Most were scared of... too. They, they couldn't eat. Like the big guys were out there saying, we will give you 60% credit on that keg to the distributors. We'll give you 70% was the next one. And it became an arms race. And it started out at 50-50 and then it went to 60. And then Sierra was like Why? 70. Why? Because they, they wanted to appease their distributor partners because they see the long game of this. And the long game of it is making your distributors happy. So a lot of them had the power to be able to get go out there and give they had these the cash. big credits. They had the cash to yeah, do it. Be able to do it. And the, the small guys, that, that crushed them. They couldn't go out there. And thankfully, the distributors didn't make them give them 70% credits. But the small guys couldn't afford to give that money back. That money was keeping the lights on back at the breweries. Hmm. Barely. Yeah, barely right. is right, Pat. So what, what uh, Don, do you think that the latest Nielsen numbers and the trend that I saw some headlines about was that um, even uh, within the overall downtrend, beer is especially down, which you had kind of hinted at a little yeah. bit before. Yeah. How, how do you think that bodes for beer overall is this just a covid thing or is this you know a continuation of some trends that have been going on for a little while 
you know, you know, I think that I, I think to, to exactly finish on what you said, I think it's a continuation of trends that have been going on for a while. But once again, don't fall too in love with the numbers because we also have got a situation in which a lot of the big breweries can't maintain stock. I mean, the amount of time that I go into Costco and pick up the, my phone and give crap to my largest distributor here in Chicago because of the fact that they're out of my Modelo flats or they're out of Lagunitas or something else that I was going to purchase. And they tell me, they're like, you know, we can't even keep like Miller Lite in stock. You know? So a lot of the big guys aren't showing numbers right now because they're out of stock. I mean, the out of stock situation is something that we're not even talking Why? about. Why is that? No cans. They, 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 they have it's no cans. They, everybody's running out of cans, so they don't even have it. That's why you start seeing odd things in Costco. Now, I'm not saying that this is the only reason why Three Floyds was suddenly in Costco, but I do know that across the country, there's other breweries that are showing up in Costco in non-case packs. I mean, the ability to buy a four-pack in a Costco has happened, and a six-pack in a Costco has happened because of the fact that they're not able to get the traditional beers in flats that they're able to sell or in cases. So yes, the numbers are bad, but the numbers aren't telling the true story once again of the fact that there was a dramatic shift in this country over the last 10 years from bottles to cans. And that right now there is pressure on the system for people that are buying cans, cans, cans. It's like toilet paper and paper towels. There's pressure on the system. I can't even imagine if you were a paper towel manufacturer looking at the numbers going, oh my God, the doom and gloom in our industry. Well, there's no doom and gloom. You're seeing massive spikes and then out of stocks. And that's why also when you look at the numbers that suddenly traditionally products that you would see at 7-Eleven or Julasco aren't there as the number ones and twos and odd brands, small craft brands are suddenly in the top five or six. Hmm. It's got nothing to do with them suddenly becoming popular. It's got everything to do with the fact that there's nothing else to buy. You can actually buy them. You can actually buy them, but you're also purchasing them because there's nothing else to buy. You know, mm -hmm. and everything else is out of stock. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't think I really answered your question, but I, I, I would say that it's twofold. I, I, I think that beer has definitely been in trouble for years. I mean, beer has definitely been sliding down for years. We took the consumer away from buying large packages of beer and turn them into picking ponies at the horse races, you know, grabbing four packs and six packs of everything. I think what's happened now is a massive switch back to, and Pat said it perfectly, back to traditional flagship beers and traditional large pack sizes. And I think that's here to stay. And I do think, and I will say this, that this is probably to the benefit of beer in the long term because I personally buy a lot more beer here at home than I did before and share it. It's more macro beer and so forth, buying it in more volume. I think in the long term, it might come off this bounce and it might be better for beer in the long term. But right now, beer is losing out still, as it has been for 10 years to wine and spirits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, why don't we take a couple minute break, take a bathroom break? Uh, and then uh, come back uh, and talk more about uh, 
well, I guess beer, probably. And then probably. I will say, uh, Don, while we're on break, I'll let you know when we go back on. So you are technically allowed to drop as many names as you want. And <laughs> I have to relieve myself one way. You have to relieve yourself another way, I'm sure. <laughs> so, yeah, so you can do that. And then we'll be back with more of the Insiders Roundtable. All right. Good. See you, boys. Cool. See you in a bit. See ya. Uh, okay. So let's get it going. I'll go like this so when I'm play going forward. No, Do I don't. But I'm going to go like this, and then I can tell that that's when I need to cut it back in. So uh, we are back with the <laughs> Beer Temple Insiders Roundtable. Uh, I've got my guest on, Bixel and Pat Fahey. Uh, what's up, Pat? Yes. You're drinking your, uh, your, your Trumer now, I I've see. My celebration is gone. I've switched to Trumer. Nice. And Don, what are you what are you drinking now? I am still on softly spoken magic spells. Got it from Single Cut. I see Single Cut. It's really cool. good. It's really cool. good. Um, I brought it over. I don't know if I'll get to it, but the uh, Twenty Eight Haze Later from Beechwood Brewing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, you got it. Puns. You know, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. Where, where's Beechwood Brewing from? Where are they? Long Long Beach. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, so we were just getting into it before I uh, killed all the momentum. Uh, I think you were talking, Don, about um, how um, you thought maybe that some of the things that are going on right now in the long run might be good for beer. Uh, I, I would like to hear a little bit from you guys about where you think things are going to be. Um, I said a year from now, I think in the outline, but we'll be, you know, we can have some leeway with that, but um, you know, beyond next spring and, and stuff like that, you were talking about, we'll, we'll see how the numbers are looking in the spring, but where do you think we're going to be a year from now, maybe even two years from now? Um, I, I'll leave it very open-ended and then we can kind of talk about where we're going, but I don't even need to be specific about on or off. You can talk about a different sizes of breweries. What are things going to look like? I think everybody knows that there are going to be long term. Well, I would assume uh, the, it's not just going to go back to being exactly like what it was, uh, at, you know, March 15th. Um, uh, uh, 2020. It's not just going to be like that, like the day before, you know, the earth stood still type thing. Um, where do you see any predictions or anything that you think may happen or are afraid may happen or are hopeful may, may happen for anyone out there? Let Don go. Okay. Uh, Pat, I'm going to let you go actually. Okay. Come on. I, I ended it. I'd love to hear what you, I mean, I, I really do. I'm, I, I'd love to hear what you think. I mean, you know, Don, you spend a lot of time looking at numbers. Your opinion is a lot more informed than mine is. Mine is kind of just more like what I think generally. <laughs> That's um, perfect. That's what this show's hey, about. Hey, 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 Pat, Pat, those are the, those people that know me know that 99.9% .9 of what I say is what I think. That's a number. I mean, I do know that about you. I, I know that, but see, the thing is, is you Touché. look at a lot of numbers. So even what you think is, informed at least whereas i'm just kind of like yeah i feel like it's like this and i look at numbers now and then uh when i have access to them um i want to say so i'll start by saying something i think i saw this somewhere somebody talking about uh when the restaurant industry would recover 
Uh, and obviously it's not exactly the same as when the beer industry is going to get back to kind of being normal. But one of the projections I saw was that it would probably be about five years before, uh, before like That's what I saw. dining, dining scene got back to, uh, you know, similar strength. Like, that, that, where, did see, you guys, where did you guys read that? What, what was that? Do not recall. No yeah. recollection at all. Probably totally made up by some other joker. So, no, I saw, you know, yeah, 2025, but I don't know. It, it was yeah. probably like the New York Times or something. Yeah, like that. Uh, interesting. Yeah. I'm just taking notes. I mean, that's it, a staggering number to say. Yeah, it's, I heard 2025 is the year I heard. It, it is staggering if you, like, actually think about it. <laughs> but, like, truly, it does not surprise me. I mean, yeah. it is – the restaurant industry in particular has – has been hit so hard by this and you know we've already seen a lot of places close we're gonna see a lot more places close i think this winter there are a lot of places that are closed that nobody knows about too yeah i would just that's put a that good point there, there are yeah, places that i know for a fact that i am not going to say yeah are, that i know are closed yeah, that yeah, um yeah and i'm sure we do it, it, and that name, that name that I will not drop from earlier today, very interesting you said that because that was the first time today that I had heard of a place being closed that didn't make the news and they did it on purpose because of the fact that they didn't want it to make the news. You know, they, you know, they just wanted to be quiet. They didn't want to have the pressure be on their employees. And so to hear that come out now twice in one day, that. That's really scary to me because of the fact mm -hmm. that you think you know all these things and you've heard it because we're all connected to the same people. But there's an underbelly of this thing of a number of places that are already closed that people don't realize. They just think it's COVID shutdown. You know, they don't realize that they're not coming back. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Pat, to interrupt. Sorry about that. No, but that's so I think that that's a that's a that gives a window into, I think, what the on premise is going to look like. Um, I would imagine that bars are probably suffering similar fates where you are going to see a lot of bars go under during this time period. And I think that they, that bars will come back because people hmm. like to, people like to drink in social settings. I mean, I, and I, and I don't think that that is going to go away. Um, I do think that there are going to be things about this time that have the other thing that I think is going to be a carryover is this period of time has fundamentally changed people's behavior. Yeah. You know, people are a lot more used to takeout and, you know, doing things in a home setting. There are people who are, you know, fresh out of college who their first experience as adults yeah who could go to bars or go out to eat has been in a setting where they're mostly doing takeout. Those behaviors are getting ingrained in people right now. And it is going to take some time for people to get back into the habit of going out. I think, I think that there's going to be, you know, if and when there is a vaccine and, and things, there's the opportunity for things to go back to normal a little bit more. I think there's going to be a glut of people that like all go out right then, but I think it's going to be kind of like the beginning of COVID where everybody was like, we're all home all the time. Like it's basically just like vacate, like everybody's drunk all the time. Like I, I know I've talked to a lot of people who were like, yeah, the first like month I just like 
was just like drinking all the time and you can't. Because you can, right? Because you can. And I think that it will be similar when things open back up. There will be a period where people are just like out. And then I think that people will probably fall back into the patterns that they've established during this time. And it will take years before years of the on-premise being an option for people's behavior to shift back to going to that regularly. Now let's not even, I mean, I, I, it's funny. I, I was going two places mentally with this one. I was like, do you think it'll be something that will be, you said it's starting to get ingrained. I don't think it's going to be ingrained. Like, you know, the great depression was ingrained into people forever, like two generations prior to us. I mean, there's those, those like our grandparents are still like that. Like they, you know, they are forever more miserly than other people. I don't think we've had a a long enough time for that to get ingrained. But also I I think there's going to be, I don't want to call it a great depression, but there's going to be some serious economic fallout. We just talked about some of it. Uh, People, businesses going under mean people, you know, couldn't make the money means that their employees aren't employed. And I mean, that's not just in the restaurant industry. I mean, look at the all sorts of entertainment. I mean, McCormick Place is the largest. I was just hearing this morning on on the radio. It's the largest convention center in North America, and it's essentially mothballed right now. So it's uh, there's going to be huge economic implications that, you know, just getting the engine started again is going to be difficult and when it does get started who knows what that's going to look like you know well and i I will say one more thing and then i do want to turn it over to don because like i said i think he has probably more informed things to say about it but i recall having a conversation with a friend of mine who i'm not going to name drop he works for a very large restaurant chain it's just Mm. very important but it doesn't matter mcdonald's Um, this guy i bought (laughs) He he is the head of Chris. McDonald's. Not the way I thought you were going with this. I thought he it was is, like I thought it was like Boca Restaurant Group. That's where this was going. Like Ronald. So <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, but I was having I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and one of the things that he pointed out, and I do think that this will be a fundamental shift that will last, is that we already were heading in the direction of more virtual ordering, whether that's ordering through online retailers of alcohol or whether that's, you know, doing takeout and delivery type food. We already were moving in the direction of that where more and more people were starting to do that. This period forced the entire industry to rapidly shift into that. I think that that was a natural shift that was already happening I don't think that we're going to see a huge shift back from that. I think that people are going, I, I, the thing is, is I, I think that we already were going to see this shift into more and more online stuff. And, and so I, I do think that when the on-premise comes back, it's going to come back in a, it's going to come back in a different way. And I think this is something that I've been saying for a lot of time. And this is something Avery and I talk about a lot, but like hospitality is so important. Like when you in the on-premise and I would even say in the off-premise for a store like yours, Chris, 
the experience is so important. The experience that you can give people is what makes it different than just firing up your browser and ordering from somebody like Drizzly. Um, and same thing with a hospitality experience where you're going somewhere to get food or get beverage served to you in an environment, in it like in a curated way. I think that the future of the on-premise hospitality and creating an experience for people is going to become even more important because you need to outweigh the convenience of just being able to order whatever you want at home. You need to create enough of an experience for people that it gets them to be like, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend more money and take more effort to get out of my home to go and have that experience. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, in some ways I'm hopeful. One, I think I'm, I mentioned this on the show before, but one thing that I saw just from the online orders for our um, shop side of the business was um, when the, the lockdown first started, we were doing maybe um, one third delivery, two thirds pickup. Maybe it was mm-hmm. something like that or maybe it was 60, 40. Yeah. Now it's like 10, 90. Which way do you think it is, Don? Do you think it's, it's now 10, 90? Yeah, it's 10, it's 10 pickup, 90 delivery. Really? Nope. Other way shocked. around. I, I, I'm yeah, that's, shocked. Because, that's shocking. Because, Other way because, around. Because I've been in there and I, I almost feel like I want to get in and, and, and it's not me. You know me. I will sit and talk to your employees all day long. I, I just feel like respecting them. I, I kind of go in. I'm like, do you have this? No. Do you have this? No. Do you have this? Oh, thank Boom. Zip. Out. You know, but I've been in less frequently. I mean, I, I definitely have. So for myself, I, I've limited my times going in. So I'm very surprised to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, I was that, too. That Honestly. Uh, I'm shocked. Uh, yeah, no, but it was something that I paid attention to. I was like, yeah. huh. The, and it's the same people. They've now switched to, I'll come and get it. Yeah. I yeah, think maybe because they, yeah, and, 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 and it, it, could be it, it could be a million reasons. It could be a million reasons. It's like, I need to they get out of the that damn so, house. No, no, they, they miss right. that social interaction. Right? And I do think that, I think that that's part of it. I think yeah. too, and, and I, you know, I sort of alluded to this, um, I, you know, the, the experience is super important in the on-premise Chris, your store is extremely unique in that you provide a curated experience to customers as an off-premise venue in that it is a very like, you know, I've watched your people interact with people where they're like, hey, you know, you shop here regularly. I kind of know what your tastes are. Like I remember being being at the store when I was shooting pictures of a billion different beer every styles. Beer. Yeah. For, every for, every for, beer. For eight, ever. hours, for eight hours. For eight hours. That was for a, an e-learning course that we've been putting together with Don, it really, we're not exaggerating. It was e- e-learning. There was a lot of e-learning going on. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I'll maybe, I can maybe talk about that at some point, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I got there at like 10 and I left at like 7 PM. But uh, like, I remember hearing, hearing Ryan talking to somebody and being like, being like, hey man, like, you know, you might like, he talked to him a little bit about what he would like. And the guy was like, well, what about this thing? He's like, that thing's kind of weird. Like, I don't know your palate, 
because like I'm not I'm like we haven't interacted a lot so I would maybe steer like that sort of experience is uh, you know point oh one percent of the off premise so um, I I would imagine that for your standard like Benny's shoppers or like I would imagine that more of them are shifting to a uh, to an online ordering. And I could be wrong about that, but I, I would say, and Don could probably nope. back this up or, or refute it, like the data probably backs that up. I know online ordering places have been doing well during this time. Well, explosive. I mean, I, you know, Pat, listen, I'm so very thankful that you went first um, because of the fact that you touched, <laughs> you, 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 I, really, I mean, you touched on things that I would have forgotten to touch on. I mean, you nailed it as far as the consumer experience changing. There's God, we could spend hours on this. I mean, it and, was and be happening. totally wrong. <laughs> no, no, but, but but Pat, you're dead on. I mean, listen, it was going in this direction. Like mm-hmm. we all see in any industry that we're in, the small, minute changes that are happening over periods of time. And, and, I, and I think the interesting thing, having this conversation tonight of all nights, uh, being into a transition for me as far as my career is that a year went by like that. So time goes by, as we all know, so fast, but this year faster than others because these small changes that happen in every industry, this year happened in one year. In one year, things that we thought were going to take 10 years to happen, the the, the, not the popping of the craft bubble, but the letting the air out a little bit of the excitement. Just boom, it just happens so fast. And the consumer change and the consumer feeling comfortable. I mean, the younger demographic already felt comfortable with ordering online and getting their groceries delivered. But watching the older, my parents, I mean, watching my parents order online was fascinating. And they're better at it now than I am because I still don't do it. I mean, we don't do it because we have our cycle of where the places we shop. So there's certain things we get online, groceries, we're very fortunate. We live in Chicago, very close to some places. So we still have the same thing, but what I worry about the most, and the the only thing I really wanna talk about here is this. I had a conversation right before this happened with a very large data company that purchased another very large deliverable company of data. And one of the smartest people I've ever met. I mean, I, I was so blown away by this individual because of his forward thinking. While a lot of us think in small incremental steps, he was thinking 10 years out and how because of everything happening, it was gonna happen like this. But he talked about the largest retailer in the world largest retailer in the world that, that sits in Bentonville, Arkansas. And he talked about how they were transforming their entire way that they put things on the shelves and everything was going to be data driven, everything that there was no going to be no more salespeople walking into their places and knocking on the door and getting their 15 minutes in Bentonville and being able to present their products. Everything was going to be determined by data, by zip code, what was going on those shelves. And my first fear was what happens to all that experiential, you know, opportunities that you have in a places, especially, I mean, I feel like there's a little bit of a plug, Chris, for you and your establishment is 
like I think about Sam's Wine and Spirits the way it used to be before mm -hmm. it was Benny's. And, and that's no slam on Benny's. It's just back Sam's then. Sam's was just a, a magical place. My God, you'd walk in. I mean, that entire thing you were talking about, Pat, about talking about beer that I have when I go to the beer temple was like, and some of those people are still there at Benny's was like, hey, Don, great to see you. And you'd be like, whoa, he remembers me. I'm like, I only bought wine from him like three times. And he'd be like, no, no, you don't want that. He's like, that's like 28 bucks. He goes, buy three of these. In fact, buy one of those, one of those, one of those. They were like $12 each. He goes, spend $12 more, get three bottles instead of one bottle for 28. I'd be like, boom, mind blown. If we're moving at rapid speed as we are right now, I can't believe I almost said warp speed. Um, as we're moving at this rapid pace of change, I really do worry about, as you alluded to, one of you did, you know, that next generation getting used to the experience of going to bars and going out and shopping and learning, everything's going to just be thrown at them. I mean, it's just going to be so fast that my wife and I were looking online to buy a fire pit today. And I was laughing because as soon as we looked at it, I flipped to Facebook to show her and the third ad was for the fire pit. And I jokingly said, hey, let's look. I told her, Alan Edmonds shoes have been on sale. I Googled Alan Edmonds, pulled it up, boom. Fourth ad on Facebook then, Alan Edmonds. I think so many of the buying decisions because of what has changed are going to change into decisions that aren't necessarily made by the consumer anymore that are just going to be made for them. The illusion of choice. The yeah, illusion and, and, of and, choice. And that's what scares the crap out of me is the fact that these next resets. So let me talk a little bit about what's going to happen. What's going to happen is these next resets that are happening in spring. So for those of you that are on that don't know what a reset is or understand it, there's two major resets that happen in the United States in, in the BevAlk business and in most industries. Major resets are done in the spring and in the fall. Because of COVID, the reset of the store shelves, replacing items that weren't selling with items that do sell, or new items that suppliers wanted to get on the shelves didn't fully get, they weren't fully actionable or changed over because of COVID. So they didn't do them, they suspended them. So the stuff that was supposed to come off the shelves in spring of 2019 sat there. And then came fall, there was a little bit of pull and plug, which means that you agree to pull your product, your same product out and replace it with one of your own. Some of that happened. This spring reset is going to be the greatest reset of the BevAlk industry in my lifetime because we've gone almost a full year before a full reset has happened. So it scares me a lot is a lot of these breweries that are just holding on right now that think they're doing fine. When these resets come down and they find out that these placements in chain stores across the United States are gone because they were in a four pack for $19.99 as opposed to being in a 12 pack right now for $15.99, <clears throat> which is the pack size that is selling right now and blowing up across the United States and they lose their shelf position before it. And suddenly their route to market with some of the independents isn't there anymore. That's what scares me. The route to the market with the independents isn't there. Why? Why is it, it, it there? It's not there because of the fact that they're not doing the volume. They haven't uh -huh. adjusted and changed. Okay. A lot of them have gone out of business. Yeah. 
And a lot of them didn't adjust like you did from a model of in-person to delivery. And now very surprisingly that they all came back, but a lot of them just aren't going to have a place anymore because they can't sell it in their own premise. They're not going to have a place to sell this product. They can't make a 30 barrel batch of beer and keep 15 barrels for themselves and sell that on draft at their own premise and make a lot of money off of it and sell some draft out and beyond premise. My fear is the fact that it's going to get so much worse and it's going to happen. A lot of people don't see it coming. I mean, this switch as Pat alluded to, isn't going to switch back overnight because we're not going to go flood the bars like we used to. I, some people will, they will, but I know myself, I mean, I've still gone to the bars throughout this outside with my small group of friends. I don't think I'm going to be very quick to rush into a, a music venue and be there with like a thousand people. I think it's going to take time. And as Pat alluded to, you know, the way that I drink now and the way that I enjoy myself, I think it's going to take a long time for that to switch back. But, but my biggest fear in all this is the fact that enough breweries weren't able to switch to pack sizes that are now selling. And a lot of them have had their shelf positions for longer than they deserve them. And I think that when the shelf sets come out in the spring, it's going to get a lot worse. And the big I, boys I are going to flex their muscles too. Yeah, they're, they're, they're flexing them right now because the only thing that these retailers care about is how do you sell the product for me? And it's either discounting, advertising, all the traditional things that people do when all the little guys are still thinking about sampling tables and touching one consumer at a time. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of the uh, illusion, in my opinion, of the infallibility of data, um, which is, you know, it can do a lot. But I'll say one thing, that that rot house on the data would have never would have never happened. I mean, it just wouldn't have become a thing. Uh, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that it's, it's probably in Whole Foods now uh, in some degree because of, of the sales that we did in the beer temple because we were selling 95% of it. That's why I'm saying it. I know how much came in and I know how much we moved and we moved it because we got a sample of it. Somebody came in, gave us their 15 minutes, you know, like you were saying, it's not going to happen anymore, Don. And, uh, I never at, at I, that one place. Right. Uh, I, um, I, I, uh, I, we drank it. And we were like, hmm, this, this beer is pretty good. And I was expecting it to be one of those just small breweries that the big guy or, or, or whatever reason that one of the big guys brings in, they're out of touch. It was a favor to bring in this beer and it's totally beat up by the time it gets here. Um, I was totally wrong. It tasted very, very good. Uh, we had a, very well respected uh, to use the parlance of some of our guests, uh, very well known, very famous, uh, Pilsner on draft at the time from Germany, really old brewery, real, real old brewery. One of the oldest and, uh, some say the oldest and, um, we had it and, uh, it blew the doors off that Pilsner that we had on draft. And 
I, we started to, um, you know, evangelize, uh, this beer and it worked and I'm glad that it's now in, in whole foods and, and other places. Um, but they were bringing this beer in five cases at a time, Lakeshore, the, you know, the, the Budweiser, uh, dealer, uh, distributor, um, was bringing Ronos in five cases, you know, like you're, you're not just not going to really realistically get into whole foods. You might get into one of them. Um, but it's, uh, that stuff can happen if it's just all data driven. Um, it can happen now that it's already in there, but a new one can happen without that little, those, those touches, those, you know, to some degree, it's it's not the the touching one person at a time with a sample table at a, a, on an end cap in a grocery store, Don. But it's somebody going around and giving you a sample of beer um, and saying, "Hey, what do you think of this?" So, you, you I know, and I just I, I, I just pulled the numbers up, and and it's really interesting to see. It's what were you selling it for a six pack? Fourteen ninety nine. I think so. So nation, nationwide, it averages fourteen forty nine a unit price. And what percentage do you think it's up this year? A hundred percent. So it's up twenty nine percent in the United States as far as what's scanning. And what's scanning is just infinitesimal. And what's interesting <laughs> is when you, when, you, when you look at this, and you look at the equivs. I'm only showing for the last 26 weeks in the United States, 1,500 cases of sales in the last 26 weeks. So the interesting thing, and it's such a great story to talk about this brand because the fact that if you think about this brand alone, think about in the last 26 weeks. So if you go back and you, and you think about the amount of months that you've been selling this beer, it's not capturing any of this data. So you put your data into something like this. Mm -hmm. And this is capturing Biddy's data that's in here as well. But their numbers are at least double, triple, quadruple this. But the story is only telling up 29%. So when you're talking about the largest retailer in the world, they're never putting this brand in because of the fact that so much of their data off of this incredible sales story isn't ever going to be told to anybody outside of a small amount of people like us. Mm -hmm. in the beer community yeah it's interesting um that's crazy i mean 1500 cases this in six months yeah yeah, that's it and you know if as we're talking i'll pull it up i'll pull up the, the the entire last year of all that's being sold and this is total u.s data that i'm looking at right now too so um i'll, I'll try to pull up really quick for us the amount that's crazy i mean i know we've sold several hundred cases i would guess <laughs> isn't that funny yeah isn't that amazing funny. how little and it goes back to the earlier conversation that we had such a small amount of this stuff is actually captured especially when you talk about brands like this i mean this is a great example of how the data can lie a little bit and not tell the true story but the major retailers will always lean towards this data and it's going to make it harder and harder for anybody to break into any kind of retail establishment. Right. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They, they won't have a chance. So it's like without this data. But the thing is the retailers don't care about that. They don't need some. In fact, it's easier if somebody doesn't break in. The, what they don't want is for somebody to break in that they're not hip to. 
that's what they're worried about. But if they control the set. So I remember when I first started this show where, you know, I was super pessimistic and I said, well, what, what big beer wants to do is just give you the illusion of choice, acquire enough of a set to make it look like you don't need to go to the independent for your IPA. We have IPA. You like sours. We have sours. You like Belgians. We have Belgians and here, and then just have a small set that they can control and just take all of this and shrink it down to this. And I think that's what the big retailers want. I mean, if you go to Target, I don't, there aren't really any Walmarts uh, in, in, around me to go to, but if you go to Target, I think there is a lot of illusion of choice at Target. A lot of people love Target and I've, you know, Again, I got yelled at on this show before for saying, like, I don't like Target. I hate Target. <laughs> I hate, hate it. Target. Hate it. I, 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 I have to always preface this, and my wife and kids make fun of me because they love it. They think it's the greatest thing in the world. The best stock choice I ever made in my entire life outside of Apple was Target, and it was only because my sister worked there. Bought it 10 years. It's been very, very good to me. I hate that friggin' store. Fine. I'm talking about from a as shopping. A, as, a, as a Minnesota person, I have to say I like Target, but that's fine. Well, that's fine. You know, and that's where my sister lives, Pat. So she, of course, worked for Target. Yeah. So I was just looking. So we're just roughly talking. We've sold just roughly, we're saying definitely over 500 cases in our store in the last 26 weeks of Rod House. And all that's, all, that's so all that's captured. I just pulled it up. All that's captured in the entire United States going back for 52 weeks is 2,700 cases in the United States. That's great. We, yeah, we sold probably 500 at least. So that's funny. But getting back to Target, like the thing is uh, I needed to get a funnel and I wanted to buy one of those like, you know, Russian doll sets of funnels where they're just all like nested within one another. Yeah, were, these for beer, were these for beer bombs? Exactly. They but I wanted to do it for me of multiple sizes. and for my wife and for my children. So I needed different <laughs> size funnels. That makes sense. That makes yes. sense. <laughs> but like they have a funnel there. They have one. They have an OXO Good Grips funnel. That's it. And that is the target thing. You want something? We have one of them. Uh, and it's, it's, oh, fantastic. I just don't, I just don't like, uh, I don't like that model. And here's the thing is they don't, they just want to control the set. They don't care about, because then they can dictate when something hot and trendy comes out because then what they can do is make a deal on the back end. Uh, say, okay, cool. What's going to be big next summer is this. We're going to plan it out a year in advance. We're going to have it all, like the manufacturing ready, bring it all in, get all our big push going, and bang, we're going to push it. Hey, what do you know? This is the hot new product that we made the hot new product. That's how they want to do it. They don't want it to be an organic thing based on user or uh, shopper's choice because they don't have the control then. So I think that we're fighting against what's easiest for these big companies to do. Uh, but it, it requires people to go in and look around and shop and try things and talk to people and be human and not just based on not robotic. And there is a big place for data. I mean, to look at it and try to figure out where things are going. It's another thing to just hand yourself over to the data uh, and, um, and just have your whole kind of 
life run by it. Jeez. Yeah, Pat, you know, I've got some really bad stories for you, Chris, because the fact that, you know, everybody is doing it, whether or not they think they're doing it or not. I mean, you, you just nailed it with the conversation about Target because, you know, the hardest thing about it is the fact that the rush to data right now is crazy. I mean, every company in the United States that didn't purchase it before they didn't need it, maybe they still don't need as much of it as they think they do, is rushing into it because they realize that that's how all the buying decisions are suddenly being made. And It's gaming algorithms. That's what everyone's trying to do now, whether it's on Facebook to get my uh, page more likes or whether it's to get on a set. Sorry to interrupt. Go on. No, no, but I mean, you're perfect. I mean, you nailed it before when you talked about the amount of draft handles you had and what you went down to. I mean- the lack of consumer choice is accelerating. And the amount of things that you see in your feed when you go into Drizzly or any of these other sites, it's all still controlled. You know what I mean? That's, you know, it's all bought and paid for. The first things you see, I mean, you know, and, I, and I'm not going to name too many retailers because I don't want to get myself in trouble with our friends, but, but all those spots, the things you see and how they're listed is dependent upon, are you giving them scan dollars? Are you paying for advertising on their sites? There's a reason why that IPA is number one in every site you go to. There's a reason why after you click on it, whether you buy it or not, it's gonna show up in your Facebook feed and your Instagram feed. I mean, that acceleration of everything, and Pat nailed this, is it's just accelerated everything that was happening anyway, has just happened like that. And that's, that's and that's incredible. Honestly, I think that's uh, that's a whole can of worms that I think we have. I don't. I'm not going to say we've danced around it, but I think that like is something that's probably too much to get into. Is yeah. When you, as we see more and more people shift to buying alcohol in an online environment, where you're able to, uh, you know, it, it's a very different experience looking at a laid out page as it is looking at a laid out cooler. Um, Because the thing is, is when somebody looks at a laid out page, especially if they're just trying to grab something quick, you might only see the first three or four things that are on the page. Like that, as consumer behavior moves more towards purchasing alcohol in that environment, how do you hand sell some of these products that really need somebody talking about them in order for the customer to understand them in an environment where it's all done on it's it's an online humanless transaction I mean, where my mind is going already is they can get you on places like you know instacart or or walmart.com uh, or whatever where you those big players may not even want you to get to the beer page they may not yeah. even want you to get that far yeah. what they'll do is okay whenever what, what what's everyone buying right now oh they're buying spaghetti perfect when someone buys spaghetti <laughs> i want my thing say lots of people also enjoy adding my six pack of beer so it's like oh yeah i was gonna get a six pack anyway i've heard of that one bing i get it now i don't even have to look go to the to the beer page uh of of the site anymore there you go we got we made it to the banquet congratulations made it to the banquet um, and then that's a huge win for them because then you're not even shopping uh, for beer. You're just doing, you're just going with like, here, take this. You're just doing what's been 
fed to you. Yeah, well, illusion Chris, I'm going to jump. Choice. I'm gonna, illusion uh, of choice. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to make I'm going to make this number up. It, it, I read it a long time ago, and I quote it all the time, and I and I and I always. Make I it know up. this many famous people. No. No, no, but besides that, I have, and, and and there's a lot of them actually, and and you know, and, and like two of them actually know who I am, but um, but the interesting thing is I, I forgot the amount of turns once you get something into a basket. So once you put it into your online basket, I don't remember it. And I, and I want to say it's like three or four turns before anybody removes it, notices it. Once you put these things on auto order and they just oh. start coming. And so the amount of money that these big companies spend to get you to put these items in their baskets, whether it's Target or Walmart or Drizzly or whatever, that's the key. That's where they spend all their money is to make sure that you put it in the basket. And then they reinforce that with messaging to you through your social media is that's the key. And the hard thing is let's talk about the hot butcher again, which is just the greatest breakout story I, that I've watched over the last five years. Or, and I know they've been around longer, but it's amazing to watch what they've done, but they haven't even touched that Avenue and they may never need to, which is incredible to watch because they've got so much opportunity to blow up and you watch Maplewood and what they're doing as well. But you look at brands like that, the consumer that shops at target, they're never going to see them or know them ever. And so the hard thing for them becomes this, let's say that all of a sudden they decide to break out. They decide they want to be in jewel. They want to be in drizzly. They want to be in these platforms. The consumer doesn't know them and it costs for them to get known is going to be well beyond what anybody can afford to get to that point. That's the hardest thing about this is that the fact that the big breweries that have grown up during this era that was just passed, it's going to be so very difficult for anybody to get past a certain level because the big guys and their dollars and the control of what's just happened isn't going to allow anybody the cost to get in and play in that game and to stay in it. It's just and, not going to be approachable. And what do you know? I, I, There's no little places to go and do it yourself anymore. Cause yeah. well, I, I think we're going to a place where, where there are two very clearly segmented portions of the market with like a huge chasm in between them where you have larger brewers and you have artisanal. And that chasm is well, huge. Pat. Yeah. And, and it's and, only going to get bigger. And, and the scary thing is, let's just say that it's a $300 billion market, you know, whatever it is. You know, and you've got $10 billion is over in this chasm. $290 billion is over in this chasm. That's the problem with the chasm is the fact that the chasm is getting wider, Pat. That's, mm-hmm. that's what scares the hell out of me is wow. the fact that I don't go market an opportunity to get into those places. This is shrinking. This is growing exponentially and only being filled by a few players or players that hold all the other players. Mm-hmm. Heineken holding all the players in that card or Budweiser holding all the players in that card. Now, I have said for a long time, and COVID has changed this a little bit, but I have always thought that there is space for the small brewer that has design that does not have designs of getting to be really big that services their community that primarily operates through an on-premise model i think anybody that's in that model is hurting like hell right now but i do think that 
three, four, five years from now, I do think that that probably will still be a viable model. It will not be, a, I think that the, the barriers are extremely high. If you wanted to like anybody out there who wants to like start a brewery and become a national brand. Yeah. They're like, crazy. It's not going to happen. I, I, well, actually, I, let me take, let, let me take that back. It um, could happen, but it, I would be it shocked. Could. It, 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 listen, we're, <laughs> no, listen, we're always much. wrong because there's always some breakout that we're always like, there, there's always one. There's so, always a Ryan Geist. There's always a Ryan Geist, but like there are not many of them. Yeah, no. but 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 Reingeist, but but Reingeist isn't going to be national. So I mean, I probably I, not. Yeah, they're, they're not, and, and nor can they be. And that's nothing to get. Oh my God, the one that the one that I, I would point to. It, by the way, I almost name dropped it. Oh, but, 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 almost but, gotcha. But, but even they can't do it because of the fact that there's these breweries like Reingeist, they just don't play because of what you're saying, Pat. Is that this acceleration of local that has continued to grow? And will come back strong prevents anybody else from being able to spread too far. One of the most recent I can think of and point to is Founders. Founders yep. is is one of the few brands I can think of that, you know, I don't know how old they are, but 10 years ago, they were a craft darling and they are a national, I, I don't know if they're in 50 states, but they are a large player. Close. Yeah, but yeah, they were, but they have huge international money. That yeah. doesn't count. They, but the they, out doesn't count. Uh, but I would say that they were on that trajectory before that happened. Um, you yeah, know, but I would say there was also a different they, time. There was also yeah, a different time. This is time. an interesting conversation because were they on that trajectory nat- naturally? Or were they on that trajectory because they had to With hit a the, certain number to be able to get bought to, out, you know? Right. That right. is a question. That, that's a hard that, thing. You know? That's a question that almost I don't know that can be answered by yeah. any. But well, we'll never know because the only people know who could say cannot be named in this episode, and there's <laughs> and only one person who knows them all, and so it's kind of catch twenty two. Um, that those who can, shall not be named. No. Um, yeah, but, you know, it's, that, but it's a very that, good point, Don, that you're making. It's very interesting, and I think yeah. you could easily be right. I mean, who knows? Well, well, but that's but that's what happened to a couple of these people is the fact that the race across the United States happened for a couple of these breweries because there was dollars involved. If they heard, hit a certain threshold, that then triggered the buy out of your arrangement or have them buy fully into your arrangement. Mm-hmm. I mean. This is not secret information. I mean, this is what happened. And that's why so many of these actually pushed so hard and so aggressively. I mean, massive marketing campaigns happen for brands that I used to work for. You know what I mean? And, you know, they pushed so hard because they had a small equity stake that was bought for them for, from uh, an outside company. And then they sold to Samuel Adams and, and, they, and they pushed so hard. And, and there's always these triggers that happen with these PE deals. That's the hardest thing about private equity is it's fantastic, but there can be these pressures on them for them to race across the country. And, and that's back what to Tony what's McGee, uh, I'll name drop. That's what Tony yeah. McGee mentioned uh, when he was on the show kind of in his little uh, essay or manifesto about the zombie breweries, you know, these, these kind of zombie breweries yeah. that are out there. They're already kind of dead. They're already kind of cannibalizing other people because they're 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 on a timeline. I mean, they they have the money, 
but now they have to, I mean, they're on a time. I mean, it, hey, listen, you want to be Tony McGee? Listen, I know nothing about that deal. Let me put that mm-hmm. out there. I know nothing about that deal. But I will just say this. Would you rather be Tony McGee and make uh, – uh, sorry, not Tony McGee. Would you rather be Loganitas and make a half a billion bucks or know if you hit a certain number by a certain timeline that triggers something for the other half a billion bucks? Well, I will go sell a ton of beer to get that other half a billion bucks. And, mm-hmm. that's, and that's why, Pat, there will be others, but they're going to be few and far between. What do you think quickly, or we're running out of time, Don, about uh, the Sweetwater deal being bought for uh, $350 million by the Canadian cannabis uh, interest, uh, especially in the, uh, in the wake of the $41 million uh, ballast point um, uh, sale to kings and convicts. Uh. I, I, I will tell you this. There is a portion of this industry that I understand and there's a portion I don't. And one of them is name rights and what those name rights are worth. And if I'm a brewer in the United States that has based myself on the name 420 and I have got an alcohol deliverable with a name 420, and my entire basis is around the genre of a, a certain product that another certain company may produce, and alcohol and marijuana laws are changing in the United States, would an overpaying for a brewery that probably isn't growing the way it used to be make sense for name rights and distribution of said product? I think it was an amazing deal. I think it was an amazing deal for both parties because of the fact that it's incredible that you've got a brand that's known for 420 bought for a company that is known for 420. So I think there'll, there'll be a lot more of those betting on, you know, what happens next. I think at some point in time, there will be a deliverable for marijuana in this country. And I think that they are now at the forefront of being able to deliver that. I think it was amazing. I think it was an incredible deal. And I think they actually got it for a value and they probably got it for a great price. Okay, then. $350, uh, $350 million of value. I mean, I I have a similar feeling about that deal in that, like, I, you know, what they are betting on is they're, they're betting on federal legalization of marijuana. You betcha. Sure. But you need to go on. And if, and when that comes to fruition, they now have a quick route to market on a, a, you know, a marijuana beverage products and probably other avenues Quickly as well. scaling so, up, having the distribution uh, relationship. Sweet, Sweetwater's with some of the best distributors in the United States. Right. I mean, they're, they're not with the rinky-dink distributors. They're with the biggest of the bigs. You're talking about the Reyes's of the world, the Sheehan's of the world. I mean, the biggest distributors in the United States – these guys have got a route to market that appeases their partners that want to be in this business. I mean, and I won't speak to obviously to the races and the Sheans, and maybe they don't want to be in that business, but I can de- definitely tell you that there's a lot of distributors. They like making money. There's a lot of distributors in this country that want to be in the delivering or distribution of those products. I, I think it was a fantastic move. I, I, yeah. I, 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 I was so impressed when this deal went down. Because I think it was, I, I don't think it was an overspend if the winds keep going in this direction. 
I agree with your point too, that I think it was a really good deal for both companies yeah. in that, you know, if somebody was buying Sweetwater purely for their, on their strength as a beer company, that would not have been the price. Um, a quarter of it. I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know their insides and outs. None of us do, but you know, if you look at their volume and where they're at and what their trends are, I mean, they, they got premium dollars for a great brand with great branding. I, I think it's, God, I can't believe I'm going to say it. I think it's a win-win for both of them. I mean, it really is. Cool. Time will Guy, tell. Yeah, what's up? I said time will tell. Time will tell. Um, we are out of time. Speaking of time. Speaking <laughs> of time. But uh, I wanted to see if any of uh, you guys wanted to say anything before we left. Uh, anything uh, either of you would like to say is kind of a... I'm, I, I, yeah. I'm going to go first because Pat's more eloquent than I am. Uh, at the bottom of my cap, and I don't know if this will go well. Oh, let me see if I can. There you go. Can you see that? Good. Yeah, that's very good. Let me see Isn't that I... great? Yeah. So, so for those of you that can't see this, this is a hard day's work deserves a beer. So I will just end on that note, and I will uh, <laughs> I will thank you, Chris, for bringing me and Pat together again. Uh, it's good to see you, it's, my friend. It's, it's good to see you too, Don. It's and, you. and I will... Uh, I will leave the last word for uh, Mr. Fahey. Don keeps, we, we keep trying to have beers together and then, you know, there's been like COVID and I was trying to write a book. And so, you know, it's, this is as close to having beers together as I feel like you can almost get these days. So I'm yeah. glad that this happened. This is, it was, it was, it was lovely. Um, I don't have a lot eloquent to say. I will say one of the things that I would have touched on in the what's going on section of my life with Cicerone, the reason that I was at your store for as long as I was is uh, we've been starting to do a bunch of work towards putting together more consumer focused e-learning courses. So we have something that's gonna launch there shortly, which I hope is really exciting for people. Um, you know, I, uh, one of the reasons Cicerone was born was because people who were like hardcore beer consumers at that point in time knew more than the people that were serving the beer. I think we're back to a place where there are a lot more people in the fold of enjoying beer and some amount of consumer education, just helping consumers understand a little bit more about the complex landscape that's out there is a really positive thing. And it's a thing that we're hoping to do a little bit of. So I'm hoping that people really like what we're about to release into the world okay. with, with our, you know, our erotica that was taken on the beer temple bar. So, <laughs> oh yeah. Trust me guys, you are going to want to, uh, to see this. Um, thank you guys. Thanks to my guests. Mr. Pat Fahey and Don Bixel. It's been awesome. Thank you guys. We'll have to do this again. Uh, thanks so much uh, to everyone listening. And that's about it. I'm going to see if I can get this music coming back on. Let's see. Can I do it? All right. If so, can we jam? Yeah, we can jam. That's all for the Beer Temple Insiders Roundtable. So long. Remember this is what we wanted. Remember this is what we said. Never be heard seen from again, 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 again. Remember, this is what we 